Today's scripture reading will be uh, found in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Um, If you are using the Bibles in the pew, it's on page 1044. Um, If not, it's just going to be the first book in the New Testament. Uh, And the scripture records, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's word. What a great day, huh? Even if it is 104 or something outside. If we wanted to live in Phoenix, we'd have moved there, right? I don't know what, what's going on. Okay, well, we're continuing in this series, Long Story Short, uh, which for some of you, if you've been here every week, might be starting to feel really long by now because we started this back in May. And we will finish the first week of August, which means we're down to the end. We're down, coming close to the finish line. We started all the way at creation and the very first ancient manuscript contained in this thing we call the Bible. And it was written by about 40 different authors, uh, 66 different manuscripts over a course of something like 1,500 years. This is more a library than what we would normally think of as a book. And the amazing thing about it is that somehow over all that span of time and all those different people involved in the process and all these different genres from history to poetry to letters that were personal and all these different documents that we have somehow weave a story, a narrative of God's interaction with humanity and and somehow or another we find that Jesus is in fact the subject of it. And that your life and my life and in fact all of creation hangs in the balance of this amazing story. The story of God and His creation. Of all that went wrong and of His plan to make it right. And so the last couple of weeks we talked about Jesus. We talked about His life and His resurrection. And something happened immediately after His resurrection. Which if it hadn't happened, probably none of us would be sitting here. Because right after his resurrection, Jesus did not tell his disciples, keep this a secret, did he? He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This was to be so much bigger than even the Abraham-Israel project. This was to be something that would go out to all the nations. And so, therefore, here we are, 2,000 years later. You and I sitting here. And so we talk today about the mission. But truth be told, Christianity would be a lot easier without the mission. (laughs) Wouldn't it? I mean, permit me to be a little bit facetious here for a moment. I mean, we would be able to keep way more of our money. All right? (laughs) Can I get an amen? If there was no mission, uh, there'd be no reason to give to all this extra stuff. I mean, we could keep this place afloat for a minimum amount of money. I mean, really, it would just have to be nice enough for us to tolerate, right? I mean, we wouldn't have to fix it up nice and like welcome people and all this stuff. We could, I mean, we wouldn't have to have greeters. There's all sorts of stuff we wouldn't have to worry with if there was no mission, all right? Another thing is prayer. We could only pray for ourselves if there was no mission, right? We could just 
you know, pray for, you know, my big toe that I stubbed last week and, and you know, whatever you've got going on, your cold or your cat or, you know, whatever. We, we could just keep it to praying for ourselves and just think how blessed we would be if all we did was pray for ourselves. And th then there would be no worries about being hypocr hypocrites, right? Or hypocrisy. What's the big deal? So what if we blend in with everybody else, right? And we look the same. We're not trying to reach them anyway. <laughs> you know, just relax. Do what you want to do. And, and then finally, this is probably the biggest one. There'd be no guilt ever about having to speak up about your faith in Christ. I mean, you just wouldn't even have to worry about it. Fly under the radar, you know? And I was, I was thinking about that, like all the implications of if there were no mission, I began to get a little bit convicted that I live and we live sometimes as if there's no mission. Now as a church, we are extraordinarily generous with our money, especially towards missions. That's something that's part of our culture. And so maybe on that one we could pat ourselves on the back. But then as we begin to think about, well, what about our prayer life? I mean, I could just have a faulty memory, but I'm thinking I could probably count on two hands how many times we've requested prayer for something missional, for someone's soul. In the four years since I've been here, that wasn't prompted by a lesson or something to do so. And I can't speak for you, but sometimes I do things and think about things and act in ways that really don't look a whole lot different than the world around me. And yes, even a preacher can feel comfortable up here talking to you and less comfortable out there talking to someone who may have a very different opinion about our faith. How willing are we to speak up for our faith? How willing are we to live out our faith? How willing are we to pray missionally? To give missionally? Truth be told, some of us really do wish there were no mission, if we were honest with ourselves. So let's explore today. Is there still a mission? And if so, are we living into it? This passage that we looked at today is known amongst Christians as the Great Commission, where Jesus commissions his disciples, sends them out on mission. It's the only place that we find it here in Matthew, but it's echoed other places, and certainly there's no question that Jesus left a mission to those who had witnessed him and to those who would come after them. But here it is put more succinctly. And in this little passage, it begins by saying that when they saw him, as in when the disciples saw the resurrected Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is an amazing little verse for several reasons. We gloss over it. I did, at least, most of my life. When they saw the resurrected Jesus, they being his disciples, first thing that's amazing here is they worshipped him. These were Jewish people. There's only one God in Judaism. And he's the only one you're allowed to worship in Judaism. The Ten Commandments make that very clear. 
So the fact that they worshipped Jesus says something about who they believed he was. But equally incredible is the fact that even as they were worshipping Jesus as God, there were some among them, think about this now, some among his closest disciples who still struggled with doubt. This is one of the most amazing things to me about the Bible. It's so real. I mean, think about it. We get accused a lot of times of the, of the Bible and the New Testament especially being kind of like propaganda that Christians came up with later and you know Jesus was just crucified and never rose from the dead and they just dreamed this stuff up and put it in there to convince a bunch of people that they might want to get persecuted. <laughs> it's kind of a crazy story. But anyway, let's just take it for a second. If you were writing propaganda, would you include that some of his closest disciples doubted? Or would you just say, no, they were all amazed, you know, and everyone believed, and you should too. <laughs> we know what propaganda sounds like, and this doesn't read like propaganda. So anyhow, here they are worshiping Jesus. And of course, what does Jesus say? We all know he then says, stop worshiping me. I'm just a guy like you. No. <laughs> Listen to this. This is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. People want to say Jesus was just a nice guy, a good teacher, someone who was someone you could model your life after and taught a lot of good things. Listen, he was either crazy or he was who he said he was. But you don't just stand there with people worshiping you as God and then declare all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and just remain a, a good moral teacher. He says, therefore go and make disciples. This is interesting. Here's the mission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Why do we go and make disciples of all nations? I would say that most of us, if we weren't looking at this verse, would answer that several different ways. Maybe we would say, because everyone's going to hell. And we need to go and rescue them. Uh, some of us might would say, um, well, because God so loved the world. Jesus said, do it because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Didn't he? I mean, that's what therefore says, right? <laughs> because of this, do this. And so it's good to remember sometimes that our mission is not like, it's not, in some religions you go on mission for your own sake, right? Like you get a reward in the afterlife or in this life or whatever the case may be. In other sense, you know, some Christians, they go on mission uh, and it is just purely out of a, you know, if I believe everyone's going to hell without this message, I need to go take it. Jesus said, wake people up to reality. The gospel is true. There is a God and I am his son. I am the only way, truth and life. They're living without it. Go wake them up. Tell them the fact that I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I am the king. And there is no other king beside me. 
So it's a reality statement. Think about it. Like, okay, let's just say uh, we were in the middle of the Civil War still. Okay, let's go back in time. And you were fighting in the Civil War. And boy, things got crazy. You got separated from your battalion. Uh, you didn't really want to go back to your battalion because you didn't want to die. And you certainly didn't want to get caught by the other side. And so you hung out in the woods. And then Robert E. Lee surrendered. But you didn't know because you were out in the woods. Wouldn't you want someone to tell you <laughs> at some point? I mean, you wouldn't want to live your whole life out in the woods thinking that the Civil War was still going on. At some point, you would hope that someone would come with a reality check and say, hey, there's some news. The war is over. Similarly, there's an entire world that isn't aware that God has given all authority in heaven and on earth to Jesus Christ. And so our mission is one of reality. That there is a better way of life. That there is a better someone to follow that can show you what it truly means to be human the way God designed you to be. Why would we want people to live anything less than that? Why would we want to be, them to be living in a lie instead of living into the truth? And so we have this mission from God. And he, from Jesus Christ himself to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them and then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you to the end of the age let's just break this down quickly what is a disciple this is another thing I think we get wrong about the mission because sometimes when we think that the motivation is to keep people from going to hell and get them to go to heaven instead then we think that this actually says therefore go and make converts or go and save people that that's the mission, to go out and save people. Don't we believe this? This is what we believe, that it's to go out and see how many people we can save or convert. But Jesus said, go and make disciples. And a disciple is something different than someone who's just believed something and prayed a prayer. Right? That's different because a disciple is someone who's trying to become like someone else. They're in process. If you say you want to become an electrician then you have to follow along around behind a master electrician at some point right you have to learn from someone who's going to teach you how not to electrocute yourself and things like that right so that would be a form of being a disciple if, if you wanted to learn to paint like Bob Ross on PBS right you would begin to watch all of his videos and there's even people who teach classes so you could sign up and and learn from someone who learned from him how to paint like Bob Ross and you would be a disciple of Bob Ross then you are in process learning to do what they do this is what a disciple is it's someone working in this case to be like Jesus to figure out if Jesus was living my life what would that look like so that's the mission. Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, we are therefore to go and make disciples, to find people willing to dedicate their whole life's personal mission to becoming like him and to sharing this news with others. Now it says we're supposed to baptize them. We baptize today. What in the world is baptism? Well, originally it wasn't a religious 
thing exactly. It wasn't a religious term. I mean, baptism is a term we don't use for anything else except being in a baptistry or a river or wherever and dunking people in the water or in other uh, religious settings, maybe sprinkling them or something like that, right? Okay, originally this was just a word in their language. And so if we translated baptism instead of, uh, I think they call it transliterating, if we translated it into English, it might just say immerse, dip, cleanse, something like that. That was their everyday language for it. And so they would take people and dip them in the water. Now why would they do this? Originally, uh, this was something that Jewish proselytes would do. People who wanted to become Jewish. And then John the Baptist comes along and he makes it about repentance. And he starts baptizing Jews. And so you need to repent. You need to get your life right. You need to start living the way you know you ought to be living in preparation for the king to come. And so it became this thing about repentance, of turning from your old life from sin and all that stuff and, and living the way that God taught us to live. And Jesus comes and asks John to baptize him, not because he needed repentance, but because he came to identify with sinners. And ultimately he would do that to the ultimate level and degree on the cross. As he not only identified with us, but actually took his sins upon him. And paid the price that we should have paid. So Jesus was baptized. And so maybe part of the reason that as disciples, the first thing that happens to us is we're baptized. Is because we're showing, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. And this is something Jesus did. And something he taught us to do. So I'm going to be obedient to that as part of the beginning of my training under Jesus. But there's more to it than that we find. As we read on in the New Testament we find that not only is this about repentance and not only is this about saying I'm a Jesus guy, I'm following him, but it's about the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist himself said, I baptize you with water but there's one coming after me who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now we're getting into the crazy talk. <laughs> People don't talk like this anymore these days in America. But the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, it's better that I leave you rather than stay here with you so that we can send you, he and the Father would send his Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives. And when we are baptized, what we just did today, it, we're symbolizing something that's taking place, we believe, on the inside. And at the end of this service, we're going to ask those who are baptized today to come up and we're going to pray over them that they would receive the Holy Spirit because water can only do so much for you. But the Holy Spirit can wash you and clean you on the inside and change heart and motive and attitude and thoughts in a way that water never could. So we make disciples, we baptize them, and then we teach them some of what Jesus said in case they want to do it. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Obedience. Another one of those things we don't talk about as much any, anymore because somehow we thought the mission was just about going around and getting people to say, yes, I believe in Jesus, pray a prayer, and send them on their way. 
And Jesus said the mission was go and make disciples. And part of being a disciple is learning from the master. And so teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teach them to obey. This is what a disciple is. Now place yourself in their shoes for a moment. Jesus on a mountainside, resurrected from the dead. You've just been worshiping him as God. And he's about to leave. He says you're not going to see him again until he comes again in glory. You don't know how long that's going to be. And he's leaving you this mission. Just stand amongst the disciples for a moment at that hillside if you can. Pick somebody. Stand next to Peter. Or maybe one of these guys that was still doubting. And look at Jesus, looking at you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Hang on, what now, Jesus? And I want you to go baptize them. Okay, we can do that. We practice that. <laughs> they practiced that with Jesus in the Jordan River. They practiced baptizing people. They probably thought they could manage that. And then teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Of all the nations... I can only imagine the look on their face that prompted Jesus to say, and surely I am with you till the very end of the age. But our question today is do we still have to do this mission stuff? So my question to you would be, has the end of the age come yet? Has Jesus come back? Has he set up the new heaven and earth? Is this it? Then the mission isn't over. And he's still with us. And the command remains the same. Make disciples. Baptize them. And then teach them to obey everything he commanded. So my question for you then is, are you living on mission? I'm briefly just going to run past four ways that you can live on mission. These are very biblical ways. These are the ways that, from what we can tell from our New Testament documents and other historical documents from the time period. These are things that the earliest Christians did as part of being on mission, living on mission, as Jesus commanded. And we know that they did, because from the moment that Peter preached the first sermon and 3,000 joined the faith, the mission's been underway. For 2,000 years it's been underway. It expanded to the Gentiles, first through Peter, and then God handpicked a guy named Paul who was actually going around killing Christians and chose him. His, his Hebrew name was Saul, but we know him by Paul because he was known by his Greek name because he was the missionary to the Gentiles. And so Paul goes and starts planting churches all across the Roman Empire. And all of a sudden, almost immediately, almost overnight, 
it's causing all this disruption in their society as people start rejecting pagan faith and start turning to Christ. Start rejecting Caesar as Lord and start looking at Christ as Lord. It's hard to imagine just how significant this movement was. And in just 300 years, they toppled an entire empire. And the first Roman emperor to ever claim Christ as Lord came in around 350 A.D. Today, about a third of the seven and a half billion people on this planet identify with Christianity in some way. Claim, call themselves Christian. Can you imagine those guys sitting at that hillside, Jesus telling them, therefore go make disciples of all nations, picturing a third of seven and a half billion people that know about Jesus. And so what did they do? How did that happen? One of the most frequently talked about things that we don't like to frequently talk about, but the New Testament does, is they gave generously when they had nothing to support the mission of the church, to support people like Paul and others who were taking the gospel into very difficult places at the risk of their own lives, and so that they wouldn't have to work, Paul was a tent maker and sometimes he had to make tents to keep going. But so that he wouldn't have to do that all the time, churches, out of their poverty, would give generously so that he could carry on the mission and others like him. So we still have that opportunity today. Sometimes that opportunity is overwhelming because there's, in, in our culture today there's about a million people who want to be on mission and want money, right? And so we have to be discerning of how to best spend our dollars both as a church and individually. But just because it feels overwhelming doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. So we have to find ways to be good stewards of what God's entrusted to us so that we're using part of that for the mission. So you might ask yourself today, am I maximizing my money for kingdom advancement? So if that's something that you need to wrestle with, maybe write it down on this note card we've got. There's room for notes. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe you don't need to wrestle with whether you're maximizing your money for kingdom advancement. But there were other ways that the early disciples lived on mission and that we can too. And another one of those besides giving was praying. In fact, second only to giving, probably the most mentioned missional activity in the New Testament was prayer. Now I'm talking about, when I say the most mentioned, I'm not talking about evangelists like Paul who were going all over the place, doing incredible things for the kingdom. Some of us are called to that, not all of us are called to that. But we're all called to be part of this mission. And so what are some things that everyday folks like you and I were called to do? Well, give and pray were the two most prominent things that are most frequently mentioned in your New Testament. Giving to support those evangelists and praying for them. That they would speak boldly and clearly that God would make a way for the gospel. Praying, I'm sure, for their own communities and that the gospel would go forward even in their own neck of the woods. 
They would pray for boldness in the face of persecution. So, my question for you would be, are you ever really praying missional prayers? And maybe that's something you need to wrestle with today. Am I ever really praying missional prayers? What kind of prayers am I praying? What does my prayer life look like? And what percentage of my prayer life, not that there needs to be an exact percentage, but you'd think it should be a sizable percentage that's dedicated to praying missional prayers. In fact, all those commands and teachings of Jesus about how if we pray in His name, we can count on it. Well, that was assuming a lot of missional prayers, right? Praying in His name means praying for the things that we would be doing in His name, His business that we would be about. And if we pray for things that He would desire to happen in our world, we can count on Him showing up and doing something amazing. So we should pray missionally. Give, pray. And then there's this whole living thing. Living in a way where we look a lot different than the world around us because we're actually doing what Jesus taught us to do. That's what disciples are about, right? And so when we do that, amazingly, the mission goes forward. We read about this in the New Testament in cases like in Ephesus, where these guys started giving up. I mean, they were, you know, you've got issues in your past. These guys had issues in their past. They, a lot of them were into sorcery and all kinds of crazy, dark, evil stuff. And they took a bunch of their really valuable books on sorcery and all that kind of thing and made a big bonfire and burned them, word got around. <laughs> and pretty soon there's more people coming and confessing and repenting and word spreads around. And pretty soon there's not many people showing up at the pagan temple anymore. And then pretty soon there's a riot that breaks out because the people who make their living off the temple are getting concerned about their income. <laughs> this is what happens when Christ followers begin to actually live out their faith. It changes, it draws attention, for one, not always in a good way, sometimes in a scary way. A lot of times it ends up persecution, but the mission goes forward through that. So we give, and we pray, and we live, and we say. Sometimes, even when you're not an evangelist, even when you're not the guy that's called to go and stand on the stage and preach the gospel, or to stand on the street corner and preach the gospel, or to go halfway around the world and share the gospel, sometimes, even when you're not that guy, there's cases where you're supposed to speak up. The apostles taught us that if someone's bashing your faith, then you ought to gently reply and give a defense for why you believe in Jesus. And that there's times where you'll have opportunities to share why you have a hope in Jesus Christ and you need to be ready to seize those opportunities. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to have a degree or a doctorate. You don't have to have all the answers. Are you willing to say that you believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead? Are you willing to own that as your hope and your faith?
So we give, we pray, we live, we say. If any of these questions are things that you feel like as a Christian you need to deal with and wrestle with a little bit in this season of your life, then maybe write those down and spend some time praying through it this week. Thinking through how can I live more on mission for Christ. And if you're here today and you're not really sure where you're at with this whole Jesus thing in the first place, then you've kind of gotten off easy today because most of this has been aimed at Jesus' followers. Are you living on mission? If you haven't made up your mind about Jesus, there's no reason for you to live on mission yet. But I would encourage you to think about the testimonies that you heard today. The life change represented by those baptisms we saw today. And ask yourself, how's your life going? Are you living in freedom, really? Could there be a better way of doing things? Could it be that this Jesus guy knew what he was talking about? Could he really be who they said he was? And if you think he could be, then he'd be the wisest person on the planet. Someone worth becoming a disciple of, perhaps. We believe all authority in heaven and on earth, whether we like it or not, belongs to Jesus Christ because it was given to him by the one true God. I know that's a stout claim. We wouldn't believe it if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus. His first disciples wouldn't have believed it if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus. But what they saw was so profound that they couldn't be silent about it, even in the face of persecution. And so here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about it. And if it's something that you would like to give your life to, then we would love to fill that baptistry up again. So please let us know. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus and for entrusting the mission to those first disciples. God, we confess that we Christians too often shy away from the mission. And sometimes, if we're honest, it does seem like our culture is particularly unreceptive to it these days. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make a way. Show us the way. Lead us into mission. Prepare hearts to receive your gospel and to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.